If you're uh, here this morning and you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up. If you don't have a Bible with you, I think there are some pew Bibles seated somewhere near you. And as you open the Word of God this morning, uh, let's turn together to 1 Peter, which is towards the back of the Bible. It's right after James and right before 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 is our passage this morning, and uh, I'm always glad to be here with you. And uh, as I was speaking with Marty this week about what to preach on, uh, it's obvious that this coming week is a big week in the life of your church, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to call a pastor soon. And so uh, I thought that this text, uh, which is really about the role of the elder or the pastor and the role of the congregation, would be helpful this morning. And so my prayer is that uh, as the seed is being sown, uh, it would bear good that it would uh, reap 30, 60, and 100 times, and that we would all grow together as we hear God's Word. We'll look at First Peter chapter 5, the first five verses. So, hear God's Word. This is the Word of God for you today. Peter writes, So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now, and we come with humility, and we simply ask that you would work. We pray that you would work as you've promised to do, by your word and by your spirit. We pray that those two powerful forces would meet together, and that they would cause a great change to take place in this church and in our hearts this morning. We pray that you would bless the preacher and the hearers, that our words would be careful and that our ears would be open. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified above all. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think with me for just a moment about one earthly possession at the risk of sounding materialistic that you really, really care deeply about. For me, it's my iPod. Now, if you're here and you don't know what an iPod is, it's sort of the modern version of a Walkman, only it's a lot cooler. Um, (laughs) iPods are awesome, and I love my iPod. It's borderline idolatry. I, I rarely leave home without it. And if my house were to get set on fire, and I only had time to grab a few things, I'd grab Marianne and throw her over my shoulder, and then I'd grab Nate... And as I was running out of the house, I'd be sure and reach for that iPod. I don't want to forget it. It's an important possession to me. It's something I value and cherish. I'm sure we all have things, particularly in America, that we value and that we cherish deeply. And it's really an amazing thing to consider that God is the same way. God has a possession that he values and cherishes deeply that he will never, ever, ever let go. What is that possession? It's his church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. If you're not really familiar with what the church is, well, it's 
basically a congregation of people, an assembly of people that have been called out of darkness into the light of Jesus. And that, friends, is what God deeply, fervently cares for. If that's true, and the Bible tells us in many places that it's true, then we need to understand how God has chosen in His wise providence to sort of take care of His treasured possession, the church. And what we read here in 1 Peter chapter 5 is that the main way God has chosen to care for His church is by entrusting it to men. To men who are called for a specific purpose to lead and shepherd and guard His Precious, holy, chosen race, what we call his church. Those men are called elders. They're called elders. So, this morning, if you're here and you care at all about the health and the growth, not just of Desert Springs, but of the church Catholic, the church at large, then we had better understand the way that God has chosen to care for his church in this time of our lives, in this wilderness wandering on earth. In other words, we better understand what elders are supposed to do and what they're supposed to be like. And that's particularly true as you consider this week calling an elder to serve you. So what do elders do? In the place where I serve, people often ask me that question. They're sometimes seen as sort of uh, the men pulling the strings behind the scenes. And we don't want it to seem like that. We want you to be very well aware of what these men do. And Peter tells us here in the Bible what elders are called to do. And I would encourage you this morning, even if you're not an elder, you might think this is irrelevant, but it's not. I would encourage you to listen and to pay attention because, and this is profound, your spiritual health and your spiritual growth is largely dependent on the elders of your church. They are a key instrument in you growing up in grace and in faith and in love and in obedience. The work of the elder is vital to your spiritual health. Okay? Now, just to set the context here for 1 Peter, throughout this letter, Peter has been talking about how the Christians of his day and also of our day are a people that suffer. There are people that struggle. There are people that he compares to ancient Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness And the text immediately preceding ours sort of sums that up, that theme. And chapter 4, verse 19 tells us, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, the question he's getting at here in chapter 5 is how? How is the church of Jesus supposed to do that? Entrust their souls? to a faithful creator and do good in the midst of a suffering existence. And in chapter 5, Peter gives two ways. Two ways the church trusts the people to a faithful creator. And the first is by having godly elders. The first is by having godly elders. What kind of a, what kind of a church can stand fiery trials and sufferings that this life throws at us? Peter's answer is a church that has humble, godly men leading it. And that brings me to this main point. Here's the main point for you today that God's Word teaches us. A suffering church needs leaders to shepherd God's people. A suffering church needs leaders to shepherd God's people. And as we examine this text together, I want to look at it in three parts. We'll look at the role of the elder. We'll look at the qualifications of the elder. And then thirdly, we'll look at the role of the members. 
your role. Excuse me, the role of the elder, the motivation of the elder, and the role of the members. So first, let's dig in. Look with me at verses 1 through 3, and we find there very clearly Peter teaching us that the role of the elder can be summed up in one word. And we find it in verse 2. It's a command. Shepherd. Shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So what does it mean then to shepherd? Obviously, it's an an agrarian term that, as a metaphor, would have made a lot more sense to an agrarian society or a shepherding society like the one Peter was originally writing to than it does to us necessarily. But I think that even we can understand in an industrial society that there are two main things that a shepherd does for sheep. And there are two main things that elders are to do as shepherds. The first is to feed The shepherd first feeds. That's one role of the elder. In his shepherding, he primarily is to feed the sheep. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to feed? Well, it means that the elders are to make sure the sheep properly receive teaching, preaching, and counseling from God's Word. That's what it means. All elders elders must be men who feed the sheep. If they're ruling elders or teaching elders, and if you're not familiar with that designation, in our denomination we have two different uh, kinds of elder. Some are paid and some aren't. (laughs) That's really the difference. (laughs) But all of them are called to shepherd. All of them are called to feed. All men must be able to teach who are elders. The Apostle Paul tells us that in numerous places in his writings in First Peter, excuse me, First Timothy chapter three, and in Titus chapter one. Peter, as in his mind, the words of Jesus. Remember, at the end of John's gospel, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus calls Peter. Remember, Peter had abandoned Jesus. He had denied Jesus three times, and here Peter is, as it were, being redeemed. He's being brought back into the fold, and Jesus says to him, Do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, Yes. And Jesus says, If you love me, you will what? Feed my sheep. Peter considered himself an elder. He says it in verse 1, that he's a fellow elder. And he's telling others what Jesus told him. A shepherd, his main role is to feed to feed by teaching. And the New Testament speaks, friends, it speaks all the time, particularly in some of Paul's later letters, which are directions for the church after he died, that leaders are to be careful about what they teach and what they allow to be taught. Let me put it this strongly. There is no more important way in which the elder shepherds the church than by seeing to it that they are responsibly and ably fed the word. So as you consider this week calling a brother to minister over you, have that in mind. I've never met Steve, and he might not like me after he hears this sermon, but but he should be a man who can teach, okay? Now, by way of application, I know that many of us are, well, I won't speak for you. I am often tempted to think that, particularly in our Presbyterian Reformed tradition, um, precision and care in teaching is sometimes overstated. And we tend to be nitpicky about details far too often. And I do think that 
That is the case at times. Yet, we want to be charitable and we want to be respectful, but when it comes to the work of teaching and preaching, be it in the pulpit or your small groups or Bible studies, there's nothing more important for elders, for your pastors to oversee. Okay? He's got to be a man who can teach, and he's got to be a man who lives what he teaches. You know, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. It's towards the end of his ministry. And he spent years with the elders in Ephesus. And he loves these men. He's mentored and discipled these men and trained these men. And if you look at Acts chapter 20, towards the end of the chapter, Paul is sort of giving his farewell speech to them. He's, he's giving them his parting words, his final shots. And you would think he's probably got a lot, of, a lot of amazing and important things that he could have told them. What is it that Paul emphasizes? Read it when you get home. Acts 20, 28 through 30. He says, there are going to be wolves, false teachers, who will come in and who will try to eat your sheep alive. Guard your sheep. Guard them against false teaching. Of all the things Paul could have said, that's what he focused on. This is an important biblical concept. Okay? So the role of the elder as a shepherd is first to feed, and secondly, the second major role of the shepherd is to tend. To tend. I'm not just making this up. Jesus says the same thing to to Peter in John 21. He had said, feed my sheep, and then he asked Peter again, do you love me, Peter? Peter says, yes. Jesus says, tend. My sheep. What it means to to feed the sheep, what does it mean to tend the sheep? Well, I think it means numerous things. First, it means that the shepherd is to be an example. And we see that here in verse 3, back in 1 Peter chapter 5, that they are to be examples to the flock. And the elder, I want you to see, is, is an example in service. He is a servant leader. He is a a man who who strives to set an example of dignity and godliness. Now, I grew up in Texas, and I love Texas. I love sort of the mythology of the West and the ethos of that state, even though we're real arrogant and boastful a lot of the time. And I'm guilty of that. And Texas has a lot of cowboys in it. And for that matter, Tucson does as well, don't they? A pastor is not a cowboy. Cowboys ride behind the flock. They ride behind the flock and drive them forward. Sheep are at the front of the flock. Excuse me, shepherds are at the front of the flock. They lead by example. One famous Scottish pastor of centuries ago said this, My people's greatest need is my own personal holiness. That's a true and a humbling statement. So, Shepherds tend the flock by being an example. They tend the flock by exercising church discipline. By exercising church discipline. The entire point of discipline, contrary to what many people say, is to tend to the sheep. That's part of what Peter means here when he says that they are to exercise oversight. And I want you to understand, friends, that your elders have a God-given and a serious responsibility to discipline wayward sheep so that those wayward sheep will return. You see, the point of discipline isn't to cast the wayward sheep aside into some crag in a mountain. The point is to bring the wayward sheep back and to make sure that other sheep don't go astray. It's part of what it means to tend. 
It's setting an example. It's disciplining wayward sheep. And then I think most importantly, tending sheep means praying. Praying for your sheep. And that's a hard thing to do. The Apostle James tells us in chapter 5 of his letter that if you're sick, if you need uh, someone to come pray for you, you should what? Call the elders. Call the elders of your church and they will come and lay hands on you and pray for you. That's the role of the elder, friends. They are to feed and they are to tend. Your pastor is your shepherd. Let me just say something briefly. For all of us, this is very, very important. If you're a member here at Desert Springs, remember this week as you spend time with your pastoral candidate, these words of Peter... Because the man that you choose to elect as your pastor and the men that you choose to elect as elders are crucially important for your personal health. For your personal health. And men are not ever to be selected based on status, based on popularity, based on income, or even based on their personality. Men are to be nominated because of their gifts because of their ability to shepherd. And they need to be given time to actually engage in this work. So when your pastor comes and joins you, I want you to understand, and it's it's hard for a pastor of a church to say this, but I'm not your pastor, so it's a little easier for me. (laughs) Honestly, it it really is. It's important for you to understand that your pastor's main work is to study the word, pray for you, and to be around you to love your friend, and you should give him time to do that. That's what his calling is. He works with the Word, and he works with people. That is ministry. That's the role of the elder. So what, secondly, then, is the motivation of the elder? The motivation of the elder, verses 2 through 4, Peter talks about this. And really, he tells us, first, what the motives of the elder should not be. Look with me. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight. What? Not under compulsion, but willingly. So then, your pastor, your elders, are to be elders not because they are forced into it, but because they want to do it. An elder should never be motivated by compulsion. A man should never agree to serve unless he strongly desires and wants to do so. That's why when we ordain men in our presbytery, which is just a regional church, when we ordain men, one of the questions we always ask is, do you want to do this? And a lot of the time, well, not a lot of the time, sometimes I say no. And that's a huge problem. You know, I'm a very young pastor, but already in my ministry, I've known numerous men, friends of mine, that I went to seminary with, that I'm associated with, who have left the ministry because they realized later on down their roads that they were never really called to this. I was speaking with a friend just a number of years ago who had a wonderful, healthy ministry and quit. And the reason he quit, he told me, and I'll never forget these words, is that now that I'm in ministry, I realize I was never really called, I just did it because I felt like that's what everyone wanted me to do. That's a danger for your pastor. It's a danger for your elders. The elder is one who wants to serve. And he better want to serve because it's hard. But if he wants to serve, it's also a joyful, 
wonderful, grace-filled life. So, the motive of the elder is not under compulsion, but to serve willingly. Secondly, verse 2 also. He is not to be an elder for shameful gain, we read, but eagerly. So Christian leadership is not about getting what you can, it's about giving what you are. That's what Peter is getting at here. If you want to be an elder because of the status you will gain, then you are not called. Many men become pastors and elders because they think it is a relatively cushy job that makes a decent wage where they can sit in an office away from people and read books and they only really have to work on Sundays and attend a meeting every now and then and it'll be a great way to look respectable in society. Friends, that is hugely detrimental to the church of Jesus. No one should ever become an elder because of the status it affords before others. You see, the world values status, but the church values service. So if you're pastoral candidate, and if you're elders, and me, if we are not motivated by serving the church in word and deed, although we are imperfect, then we are not called to this office. An elder shouldn't be greedy, particularly because he's not going to get rich anyway, being a pastor. <laughs> So, don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it because you're greedy for gain. Thirdly, look at the passage again. We see finally that the motive of the elder should not be, verse 3, to domineer over those in your charge, but by being examples. So the motive of an elder is, is not power, but to be a servant example. They don't seek to lord themselves over others. And believe this, if you're relatively new to the church, I want you to hear this particularly. Elders have power. Elders exercise influence and authority in the lives of people in the church. And so, because that's the case, inevitably, if you have men in these positions who are in the position solely because of the power it affords, you have a problem. You have a recipe for disaster. You see, elders are not men who get what they want when they want in the church. And that sometimes is contrary to popular opinion. Elders aren't the men who have their own little pet thing that they like in worship. Elders aren't the men who, who want the budget just the way they want it and use their power to get it that way. Elders aren't the men who get to be in on all the gossip and all the mess of your lives. That's not what elders are there for, okay? They're there to sacrificially give of themselves for you. You know, that's exactly what Jesus said in his earthly ministry to his disciples, the men who would be sort of the chief elders of the early church. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said to them, you know, don't lead like the Gentiles do, lording their authority over others, but rather seek to serve. Because I, Jesus, am the primary example of this. For the Son of Man came what? Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's an important reminder for pastors and elders as well with regard to power, with regard to service. You see, the flock is not ours. That's why Peter reminds us that the chief shepherd is going to come. It is Jesus' flock, and we will simply be judged for how faithful we are as under-shepherds. So what does that mean for you? Well, it means, as you think about your elders and your pastor, 
They should be men who talk about and think about and love Jesus. (laughs) Men that talk about themselves a lot and are concerned about themselves a lot. Sometimes, you know, it, it might be right to think in your minds, I wonder what his motive is. And trust me, we're all sinful men and we're all selfish. But primarily, by grace, our motive should be Jesus' glory. You can't have a healthy church without healthy elders. The role of the elder is to shepherd by feeding and by tending. The motivation of the elder is to serve, not to have power. The motivation of the elder is to do it willingly, not under compulsion, and to do it with eagerness, not to get money or to be greedy. Finally then, and thirdly, I want us to think a little bit about what Peter says here in our text about the role of the member, your role as members, as the majority of you aren't elders. Verse 5 is where I want to point us. Peter says there, Likewise, you who are younger, and I recognize that uh, that sounds kind of weird if you are retired and old, but uh, it really refers to everyone. You who aren't elders, read it that way, be subject to the elders. So, What is the role of the member? Primarily, it's to submit. To submit to your elders. This has been echoed throughout 1 Peter. He talks a lot about how the people of God, the church, are to submit to those authority over them in the church. Just like uh, they submit to, to the state and they submit in the workplace and wives submit to husbands. So Christians in churches submit to elders. Now, how are you to do that? As this new man comes in to shepherd and to guide and to love and to lead you, how can you help him be a good elder? How can you help him be a good pastor? How can you fulfill those vows that you're going to take if you choose to call this man, where you say, we will receive this man's teaching with submission and with humility, and we will pray for him? How do you do those things? Let me just give you a couple of suggestions by way of application. First and foremost, Pray. (laughs) Pray for your pastors. They need it. Trust me. Pray for them. And prayer really does work. You know, a a faithful church that's not a praying church is not a faithful church because prayer is just faith expressed in words. Okay? Pray for your pastors. Be in prayer this week as Steve comes and spends time among you and as you think and as your search committee thinks... Pray, 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 pray. Second, submit to their teaching. Now, what I mean by that is not blindly follow them. You are to be like the Bereans in Acts, who, when they heard teaching, studied the scriptures to see if these things were truly there. That's what a good flock does. You are to submit to their teaching with reverence, but not blindly. So what does it mean to submit? Well, it means respecting the person. It means not majoring on your little minors. It means giving this man the opportunity that he needs to study well. It means being thoughtful and careful in your own Bible study. Submit to him by submitting to his teaching. Another way you submit, if you have questions or problems or issues about the church, go talk to the pastor or to the elders 
And do that, and this is so important, do that before you go talk to someone else. Do it before you decide to up and leave the church. Do it before you do anything else. You know, as a pastor, I can tell you very honestly, we love it and appreciate it when our people come and talk to us about problems because it shows that they care. They're not just showing up on Sundays. They care. And it shows that they're concerned not to spread rumors or to be gossips or to be agents of malice, but to see this church thrive. So you'd submit to your pastor by talking to him before you talk to others about issues you have. And then one more thing. You submit to your pastor. You fulfill your vows that you have taken before God as members by serving as well. You know, there's a great book that I've recently read by two Australian pastors called The Trellis and the Vine. It's a wonderful book. I encourage you to read it. The theme of this book is the idea that all members in the church are called to be disciple makers. They're all called to minister to others. You know, we tend in our culture in America and in evangelicalism to think of our pastors as either a CEO who sort of oversees everything and pulls the strings that are necessary to make things run. We see him as a CEO or, or we see him as the, quote, professional pastor who does all the preaching and all the teaching and all the counseling and all the discipleship and all the evangelism. And I just sort of watch. Or if I have a friend that needs the gospel, I say, you need to talk to so-and-so, my pastor. You know, sometimes that might be good, but what your pastor would love is if you would share the gospel with them. What your pastor would love is if you would call him and say, what needs do we have? Who's lonely in our church? Who's being hurt in our church? Who's being saddened in our church? Who can I go visit during the week? That's one way to be a great member. The pastor is not a CEO. He's not a professional pastor. He's a trainer. He's a trainer. He exists to train you to be ministers not in the ordained sense, not in the sense that you minister word and sacrament, but in the sense that in your day-to-day lives, you shine the light of Christ to those around you. These are important things to consider for both me as the pastor, for our elders here, and for Steve as he comes this week, and for you. As we conclude this morning, I want you to look with me at verse 5. This sort of sums things up. What is it? What is it that ties together the relationship of the sheep and the shepherd? What is it that ties together the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, particularly in the midst of suffering? Verse 5 tells us it's humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, a humble church with a humble leader or leaders, and with humble members, is a growing and healthy and blessed church. A humble church is one that can stand firm in the midst of trial. A humble church is one where peacemaking can occur. A humble church is one where people come and hear the gospel and are saved. A humble church is a church that God gives grace to, as the text tells us. You know, I remember... Early in my marriage, <clears throat> when I first put on this wedding ring, uh, when I would go play basketball, it would really bother me. So a lot of the time I would want to take the ring off. But 
I guess because my fingers were fat or something, I would have an incredible amount of difficulty getting the ring off. One used to wearing jewelry. It would be painful and awkward and, you know, I'm sitting here trying to go back and forth, back and forth until finally one day Marianne gave me a piece of advice. Why don't you just, you know, use a little lotion? Oh, what do you know? And so I, deci- <laughs> I decided to, to do that. <laughs> well, amazingly, it's amazing what marriage does to men. I put lotion on. And uh, as I put the lotion on, the ring, boop, popped off immediately. That's what humility does to a church. You know, there's the mess and there's the personality that might kind of bother you and there's the sinful attitudes that bump up against each other and there's when we really get to know each other, we start kind of annoying each other sometimes and and we, we get proud and we start thinking if only this person or this family would be this way, then they would be better off and our church would be better. You know what we need? We need a good dose of the lotion of humility really smooths things out. It really helps things run along. It really grows you up in grace. And the reason why that's the case, friends, and let me say this in closing, the reason why that's the case is because Jesus was humble. You see, your Lord Jesus Christ, who is eternal and infinite, and has always existed, and has glory that we can't even begin to imagine, was born in a nasty, poop-filled, dirty manger because He loves you. He let people that He could have wiped out in five seconds, that He could have sent a host of archangels to destroy in an Just a snap of his fingers, he let those people put him to death on a cross in the most humiliating possible fashion. He let himself die. The breath went out of his human nature and didn't go back in and he was buried in a tomb for three days. That was God and that's humility. If God will show that sort of humility and love for you, then you and I, you see, we have no right not to show it to the least of these. When people understand that, friends, when I understand that and when you understand that, that gospel, God does great things in His church. That's my prayer for you this week. It's my prayer for Steve as hopefully the Lord will call him here. That's my prayer for my church and my ministry. I hope it's yours as well. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, again are grateful that in your word you teach us so many things in so many different ways that through writing letters to churches that we'll never visit or never see, uh, you have trained your church for thousands of years and continue to do so now. And we thank you that as we read these words in the Bible, your Holy Spirit comes and works in our minds and works in our hearts and works in our wills and changes our desires and makes us want to love Jesus more and grows us in godliness. How amazing is this means by which you give us grace. Thank you for it. And so we pray now as we come to the table that you would again work, that you would again bless, that you would again grow us and help us to be faithful as elders, as members, help us to be humble as our Lord himself demonstrated for us on the cross. And we pray these things in Jesus' sweet and precious name. Amen.